This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, yes, we're off. We're running on a Saturday, October 23rd. Hey, you thrilling Ranger win. What is it now, four in a row? All of a sudden turning things around after that uh, no-show performance in the uh, season opener. So good for the blue shirts there, getting a win on the road, another win on the road. Good for them. Welcome in. Big Saturday show. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Oh, I mean, what are we not going to talk about today? The, you would be quicker compiling that list. The topics not covered today. I don't know what they are, but there's plenty that we are going to cover. I can tell you that. The Knicks obviously are going to be a hot topic at 1-800-919-ESPN. The NBA season is off and running. The Knicks are 2-0. And you might say, if you're an outsider, you might say, well, it's 2-0. It's an 82-game season. There's nothing to get too worked up about already. I'm sure you all saw the video of that, uh, the clip of Nick fans after the season opening. What are they getting so worked up about? It's it's 1-0 at that point. Now it's 2-0. It's basically the first time in a decade the Knicks have been 2-0. and So, yes, you can get excited as a Knicks fan. So, uh, look, if the Giants ever went 2-0, and we'd certainly be getting excited. If the Jets ever went 2-0, and when was the last time the Jets were 2-0? and Like 2015? It, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute, as they say. And I think I have to, um, uh, you know, Say, even at 2-0, and if you're a New York Knicks fan, you were excited coming into the season, and nothing that has happened so far can get you off that excitement. So we'll get into the Knicks, obviously, at 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. we got a lot of football to talk about as I take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. So we got to – I know that it's week seven, and I think it's possible. I, I've done my homework. I don't just roll in here, stroll in here with a couple of minutes to go before the show. I am working on this show basically all week long. And then on Saturday, we get together and I share with the results of of, of that hard work. And I think I may have found the silver lining in this season for the New York Giants. Now, I had to dig. It was not easy. It was not on the surface. I can tell you that right now. But for all the complaints that I have heard from Giant fans, some on this station, some not, I think I have found the silver lining. So there's going to be plenty of football. We'll get into Week 7. We'll get to the Jets. We'll get to the Giants. The Jets back this week. Now, don't be like that. The Jets are back this week. You got your one-week reprieve, and now you have to. Uh, we have to talk about the Jets again. That's the way it works, people. We got 17 <laughs> weeks of this. Uh, Deshaun Watson is getting traded, and this time... They really, 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 really mean it. They mean it this time. All the other times that he was going to get traded, they were serious. But now this time, they're really, really, really serious. He could get traded by the end of this week. Isn't Saturday considered the end of the week? When is considered the end of the week? Sunday? Monday? When when is the, the end of the week considered? I think it's already the end of the week. I know for me, Friday, hey, Friday, end of the week. I know a lot of people are like that. I would think by now that would be uh, the end of the week. So we'll get to that. We got the uh, the NBA stuff with the Ben Simmons story and everybody coming down on Ben Simmons. Trust the process. 
That's what Ben Simmons is doing. So we'll do that, too. We'll mix in some Yankee stuff with the announcement during the week that Aaron Boone is back as manager. Plenty to get excited about, right? Well, we got a lot to get into. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. You can hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. More importantly, I'm right here on your radio until 6 o'clock. But let's start with the positive. Let's start with the New York Knicks. Because, as I said, 2-0, and for, for others, might not be all that much to get worked up about. 2-0 and in an 82-game season might not be that much to get excited about. This is different. And, man, oh, man, what a difference one year makes. Think back. A year ago when the Knicks started their season last year, I know it was a delayed start and all that, but when they started a year ago, now, Leon Rose had been on the job, but still, you know, jury was still kind of out, had not really done any major moves. The, the major move was hiring the coach, uh, and Tom Thibodeau as the coach. I'll be honest with you, and I, I was not alone back then. I was, a li- I was, I guess, maybe cautiously optimistic. I don't even know that I was necessarily all that much optimistic. It was more cautious than optimistic. Uh, I was not really buying in. Now, I was willing to give him a chance, but I was not thinking, oh, boy, this is nothing but good things from here on that this point out. But you take a look, it's really been a lot of positives. Now, obviously, the season didn't end the way you wanted it to. The playoffs didn't go the way you wanted it to. But the first season, a rousing success. And at least so far this year, after an offseason where you like the things that they did, you feel like they're moving in the right direction, double overtime win on opening night, and then just a uh, foot on the throat of a magic team that is awful and is going to be in the lottery this year. So 2-0, and which, again, doesn't sound like a lot. But I will put it in perspective this way. Over the last, I would say the last decade, I would play a little game as a Knicks fan. And that game was called, at what point will the Knicks be when they will not get back over 500? That was the game that I would play. At what point in this season will the Knicks be so far under 500? there's no realistic hope that they will get back over break-even at any point this season? And uh, a lot of times that, that has come up very early on in the season. 2019, it was the first game of the year. That's two years ago. 2019, first game of the year, they lose. They started out 1-7, did not sniff 500 the rest of the way. I think they won four of their first 20 games. Four of 20. In 2018, they did win their first game. That year, playing the what time will the Knicks be under 500 to stay, it was game three. It was game three. Now, 2017, it was a little longer than that. I think it was like 35 or so, but they made up for lost time because they lost like 18 of 20 or something like that. So 2-0 and is something to get excited about. Now, I'm not going to make some grand statement. Nick fans, uh, I mean – they're already making the grand statements. They make grand statements all the time. And, and unfortunately, there's no fan base that is more devout. I say this all the time when people say about what team, if they won, would be bigger than all the others. There's no question it would be the Knicks. Look at the way they reacted after one game. One game. Could you imagine what it would be? It would be unlike anything you've ever seen before so I'm not going to make any grand statements off of one game but I guess now two games but the one thing that you notice and you noticed it opening night and you know to a certain degree you noticed it last night as well the opponent was not as good you see right away 
how much more talented this team is, how much deeper this team is. And you look at two specific changes, which are just major upgrades. You went from Alfred Payton, who we all spent last season complaining about, and you've upgraded from that to Kemba Walker. And you've gone from Reggie Bullock to Evan Fournier. And those are two significant upgrades. But they're not the only ones right now. Like, if you're going to have, hopefully, Mitchell Robinson healthy for a significant portion of the season, that's a major upgrade. And now you get the development after a year of topping and quickly, two years of Barrett, you know, just the development of young players. Like, last year, even when they were winning games, it was... You know, it was it was basically Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Those were the guys that would carry you more more Randle than Barrett. But it was one, two, and then it was like, can someone else kind of step up and be number three? Last year, you needed Alec Burks to be that third guy a lot of times. Now he's just part of the team, and look, he's still a significant part of the team. It's not like he's buried on on the bench, but it's he's now just part of a deep roster that you can go to. And, and, and I said in, in the open there about what a difference a year makes. To see the difference, I know it's only two games, but to see the difference from where Obi Toppin was last year for a significant, really until like the end of year one to where he is right now, it's like night and day. I mean, there were times last, not, uh, last year where he looked like he had never played basketball before. He, he seemed like it was almost like a body switch comedy from the 80s where he was just dropped into a situation and he had no idea what was going on. Uh, that has not been the case so far. And if he ever starts, he had a couple of them last night, not so much in the opener, but if he starts hitting those threes from the corner like that, uh, he is going to be another significant, he's already a significant contributor, I think, uh, to what you're looking for this year. And one of the reasons for optimism, that if he starts doing that on a regular basis, even more so. I mean, they scored 138 in double overtime in the opener. They scored, uh, they had 24 threes last night. Last year, it was a grind to score. Now, they still won games, but now what you see, at least through the two games, and again, one of them was against the Magic. They'll play the Magic again tomorrow. I know Nick fans are in the midst of their fever dream right now. And they'll tell me, no, I know that this is going to There is no fan base that's more devout than Nick fans. There's also no fan base that's more delusional. So you have to take everything that they say with a grain of salt because nobody is um, is a a worse judge of their own team than Nick fans. It's what's you know they're the most unreliable analyst of their team that maybe has ever existed, has ever existed. And that video of the fans outside the garden. I mean that's they're out of their mind. That that's what you love them for. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling them to, to not be that way. Enjoy it. They've waited a long time. They've al- the Knicks have already provided more excitement than the Jets or Giants combined this year, despite all the games that they've played. And that was not a very high bar to climb. So I would say the only concern, the only um, caveat I would put on this Knicks season is, you, as a Knicks fan, just be careful because they are still out there. Who's out there? The verified Nick haters. They are still out there. They are still waiting to, to for something to happen. Oh, but what about when this happens? Or, oh, what about when that happens? Oh, what about the playoffs last year? We're moving on from the playoffs last year. Last year, the playoffs came, went. The Knicks were not able to advance. The Hawks were a better team. No question. It left you clearly needing to upgrade the talent. 
that is what they've done. I don't think that they are done upgrading that talent because it might happen this year. It might happen the offseason after this year is over. I think the Knicks are still star hunting, and they're still looking to upgrade things. But it's just nice to have a season that you can enjoy, that you can sit and let breathe, and it doesn't feel like, here we go again. So this is going to be a very difficult season for the verified Nick Haters. They're still out there. They're laying in the weeds. I'm sure they will pop up at some point. You know who they are. They'll try to finagle their way back in. They'll try to get back in the good graces. But once you are a verified Nick Hater, someone who is always looking to criticize no matter what the move is, no matter what the decision is, you know who they are. They're still out there. And just be While you're enjoying, be careful as well because they're looking for their ways to weasel their way back in. Mark my words. Has anybody found the style that as a head coach in the NFL where you don't have to win, but you can still have that style without getting any criticism? This, this idea that Joe Judge should be under more criticism or because of his style, oh, you know, you know, the old college attitude, uh, you know, making guys run laps. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but you got to win. Yeah, you got to win no matter what style you have. Well, you can't say that unless you well, – yes, every coach has to win. Otherwise, you're going to get fired. The NFL, right, not for long. You're here today, you're gone today. A lot of guys here today, gone today. And when you go, what do they go, 6-10 and 10 last year? I don't even know if they're going to get six wins this year. Yeah, I mean, it, but it doesn't really matter what style you have if there's no results to back that up. And it almost feels like people are now jumping out with these Joe Judge hot takes. Uh, well, you know, about his, his style and making guys run laps and, uh, you know, the, the way he speaks. and it, it, not, it doesn't matter what. He could be uh, a philosopher up there if they're going to be one in five it doesn't matter. you got to win games no matter what style you have. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. We're talking about the, the Knicks and uh, the way they've gotten off to this season and having some actual excitement about a sports team in New York, right, where, like, there's a certain level of, of, of expectations, but the Knicks are not expected to win a title this year. I think what would, which would be um, a successful season – would be to feel like you're either advancing in the playoffs, winning a playoff series certainly would be it. Um, I think if they could just kind of maintain being the four seed again and getting into a playoff series and getting deeper, and it wouldn't be hard to get deeper into a playoff series than they did last year, it still feels like this is moving in the right direction. And at least what you've seen through two games with the upgrades that they've made to the roster, it feels like this is an organization that is on the upswing, which has not been the case here the last 20 years. And Really, it's kind of hard to find a better balance of what expectations are and what the actual level of production is than where the Knicks are at. Like, the Yankees have expectations, but they didn't meet those expectations. They have very high expectations, and they didn't meet them. The Jets and Giants have no expectations, but they also have no production. So it's kind of tough to find that balance here right now. The Knicks are the, Knicks are the example of actually having feeling good and and – you're not feeling like, well, yeah, we came into the season with these expectations, but they're just kind of meeting them. No, I think so far this is what you want to see. 2-0, uh, you, you certainly hope you'll be able to get another win against the Magic, and then off you go. And, and this, even as early as this is, 
there have been years in the recent past where three games in, you could already tell it's going sideways with the Knicks. <laughs> it does not. It is not taken long to see. Oh boy, this is going to be a long year. So, all right, let's go to the phones. One eight hundred nine one nine ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to uh, Sam. Is in Rockland. Sam, you're first up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon, what's up? I know you were talking about Knicks upgrades. I know it's early, but given the fact that we have the Bucks in the conference and Giannis is unstoppable. What about a versatile defender like Siakam for, like, quickly? You know, you sell high on quickly, get a, like, stable presence in the paint and just, like, build off that. I know it's, like, too early on, but yeah, you I mean, sell high on quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm sell- not telling you that they won't make – I think you'd have to give up more than, than quickly for Siakam. Um, but – I think that there will be – I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I think that they're definitely – they're still out on the search for that next big star. Uh, I don't know how that's going to come. Usually it comes through a trade. So when you have Leon Rose, who's supposed to be the guy that, you know, the former agent has kind of plugged into league circles, I'm sure that before too long – and Tom Thibodeau has told you this in the past, that when these stars become available – you got to jump at the opportunity, and it is still a star league. So it, it's, it feels good about where they're at right now. I don't expect anything to happen right now, but I would not be shocked if in the course of this year, next offseason, yeah, I'm sure that they are going to be looking to upgrade the overall talent. It, it's great that I think that they have upgraded the overall talent from last year, but there's still some upgrades to be, you know, like if the Knicks are a four or a five seed this year, that's pretty good. Uh, I, I can live with that, but. You know, there's they're still a ways away. You know, the easy part is to go from where they are to where they've gotten. The, the hard part is to go from where they are now to the next level up. Okay, Sam? Yeah, just saying maybe quickly and top, you know, just make it so high. Quickly so high, and top. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily be, you know, like I think that that move has a certain, um, a certain ceiling. I'd be looking to kind of upgrade more than that. And I'd like to – um, and, and thanks for the phone call. Um, I'd like to kind of see where this goes. You know, like Toppin from where he came from last year, I mean, he looked like a lost player. Uh, and now you're starting to see what kind of player he can be. And I think that there's still room for growth, especially if he starts, you know, hitting shots on the outside, which he was not able to do in the opener. Did uh, hit a couple of threes last night. So, you know, not the greatest of competition, but let's let it breathe, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Two games in, we got to be making moves. I mean, I don't know. I just kind of, I'd like to see where this goes. I'd like to see where this is at in, uh, in, in you know, six weeks, two months, and, and just kind of enjoy the ride. You know, they, they had the, the cut from um, on the K show of, of Mike Breen uh, saying, that, yeah, this is a really likable team. It is a likable team. Now, you have to, you have to win games. <laughs> it's hard to have a likable team that loses games, but I do think that there is something about this mix of, of young guys and established guys like Randall, who are a very likable group. Let's go to uh, Spike, formerly of Jersey. Spike, you're next up on ESPN New York. I'm so happy to talk to you today. I could see that little smile on your face. We've been through a lot together, you and I, with the Knicks. And I have three quick statements to make. And uh, the happiness and the joy that they play with is priceless, number one. Number two... Not only do they like each other, they love their coach. And that's very, very important. Are they near championship level? Of course not. It's a procedural thing that takes time. But what I really liked the best last night was, (laughs) you're going to crack up, 
How often is it that you put a game on and you knew after eight minutes the game was over? And we've seen collapses, but there's, it's such joy and such fun watching them. And I mentioned to Dave this morning that, you know, the first 10 games break beautifully. And this is just my theory when I finish, uh, you know, yapping here. You could uh, comment on it. I'd appreciate it as a friend. It's nice to have a game. And the games have it every other day they have a game which is wonderful. It gives you a, a day to watch it, enjoy it, reflect on it, and then right back up uh, on the horse again. And they're playing with confidence. And listen, I, I said to Dave, too, uh, you know, look, they're playing a team that uh, if they would have lost to Boston, they ran the risk of perhaps dropping a game against Orlando. You know how that works. But after five minutes of watching Orlando, I use Dave's favorite word, uh, they're pathetic to watch. They're a very young team, and they snuffed them out really fast. And yet, I watch the minutes. I'm watching each player. Uh, they're, they're making 24 threes they made last night. They, and they play it again with this wonderful joy, and they're not getting ahead of themselves. Uh, do they? The heart and soul of the team is Derrick Rose, and I'll argue with anybody. Now, Julius Randle's the best player on the team in terms of productivity, but what you don't want, Gordon, and you and I pulled hands out, is him handling the ball at crunch time. And and, I, and with Phoenix, the heart and soul of the team is Chris Paul, even though Devin Booker is the, is the main scorer. So you have some similarities there, and both of those teams would – uh, two years ago, uh, they, they doubled their uh, under-overs. Phoenix went from whatever to whatever, 20-something to 40-something, and it's pretty much replicated that. I'm just so happy. I can't wait for the next game, and it's been years how I felt this way. And, and at my advanced age, and, and uh, I'll tell you, I'll leave you with this. You know uh, you know how much I love talking to you and Larry late at night after the games. It's, it's just... It's just great. We even win or lose, preferably win. But I get the the regular callers that call ESPN New York tonight with with the Gordon and Larry. We have a, like a little club, a little bond between all of us. We communicate with each other, and it's uh, it's fun. This is fun. This team will uh, follow the coach's lead and will be pushed. Some athletes like to be pushed. So it was a wonderful game. I expect in the next 10 games for them to play their asses off. That's all I could ask for. The talent is definitely there, Gordon. I'm sure you'd agree. And thank yeah. you for giving me all yep. the time. Yes, Mike, well, thanks for the phone call. Yeah, I mean, the, the talent is definitely better. And it's almost like um, it's almost like a uh, pitching rotation where you find your ace and then you can kind of slot the other guys into the proper spots for where they're at, right? Like Derek Rose, as much as we love Derek Rose – and you wanted Derrick Rose back after the acquisition last year, you knew you needed to upgrade at point guard. And you knew the upgrade couldn't be from him playing more minutes than, you know, 22, 25 a night. Uh, and they were able to do that by going out and getting Kemba Walker. So that that was a, a, a solid move there, certainly an upgrade move. Now it's only been two games. The health is going to be a concern. He's got to stay healthy, and that's something that they got to manage. But between – that move and the Fournier move from, from Bullock to him, I think that's an upgrade as well. So uh, I'd like to see where the season goes. I know the one thing, though, with, with, with Tibbs is that he is going to maximize. He's going to, to squeeze the, the amount of production out of this team or the most amount of production that he can get out of this team. Um, so, uh, it's, uh, look, it's fun. 
there's been plenty of times with Knicks seasons where it feels like uh, it's like uh, the baton death march or whatnot, getting through a season. And he's sometimes early on in a season. So uh, you have to like with what you've seen so far, and I know Nick fans certainly do. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, who's ready for some poop rankings? Oh, yes. Fire up the band. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Now, usually we're on sometimes still 6.30 on Saturday, sometimes at 7. It all depends on what events are going on. Today, we're only on until 6. Now, usually at 6 o'clock, we do our weekly rundown of the worst teams in the NFL. We, we call it the polar opposite of power rankings. Every other team does power rankings, right? Like uh, what teams are the best in the NFL? How would I know? I don't get to sit around on Sunday and watch the Kansas City Chiefs or to watch the, the Bills every single game in, game out. I'm forced watching the Jets. That's where my main focus is. I'm focused on the Giants. When I have some free time, I'll watch my own Dolphins, who also stink. So w- rather than have power rankings, we have the polar opposite of power rankings, our weekly dive into the uh, septic system that is the basement of the NFL standing. So everybody else argues about who's best. We're determining Who is the worst? Five spots. Who are the worst five teams in the NFL? Well, for all the bad teams you wish you missed, it's time to find out who for week seven is on the poop list. All right, here we go. Five spots. And we will start at number five. We'll do it Casey Kasem style like we do every week, counting down to number one. And I don't want to put the cat out of the bag, but or let the cat out of the bag. There is a new number one team on the poop rankings. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, All right, let's start at number five. We'll start with the Houston Texans. Yeah, they're about as successful winning games as they are convincing anyone they're trading Deshaun Watson. He's not getting traded. Uh, The Dolphins are stupid enough that they might do it, but might be traded by the end of the week. And this time we really mean the Texans are going into their game against Arizona. They are allowing. 63.2% of passes of at least 20 air yards. That's the worst in the league. The Cardinals are completing a league-best 61% of their deep passes. So that would seem, you know, there's a reason why this is just going to be an absolute massacre. Last two road games for the Houston Texans, they have lost by a combined 71 to 3. <laughs> That's not very competitive. But you know what? They're at number five, but they have some company. Yes, for the first time ever in the history of the polar opposite of power rankings, we have another team tied with the Houston Texans, and it is the New York Giants. Yes, I I think the Giants have been on the list before, but they've actually been able to get their way off the list because the other teams have just been so bad, and uh, they've only been five spots. So finally this week, I finally figured out a way to get the Giants on the list as well, and it's with a tie at the number five spot. So tied for fifth, the Giants, who were, yes, absolutely, losing by five touchdowns last week. Their point differential is tied with the Lions. For the worst in the NFL, they're 1-5, no Saquon on Sunday, no Galladay, no Tony. And let's be honest, it wasn't like they were setting the world on fire when those guys were there. 
Remember when people were saying that Joe Judge changed the culture when they went six and ten? <laughs> yeah, the culture is so much. Oh, it's night and day. They might very well have like the second pick again. Can you imagine if they end up with the second? They had the second pick the first year with with uh, with Gettleman, and then on his way out the door, another number two pick. It's not crazy if you lose if you're losing this week to Carolina, which is at least a possibility. You might very well end up. I mean, I guess you could say there's at least a possibility they have the the, the top pick. Could you imagine that? I think one thing is for sure. If it's the first pick, the second pick, the third pick, the fifth pick, whatever it is, they're not going to take a running back. Let's put it that way. So the offense is okay when all things are perfect. It's rarely perfect, and the defense stinks. And can you imagine what the crowd is going to be like for Michael Strahan Day? It's November 28th, week 12 against the Eagles. How many people are still going to be going to giant games at that point? And they still have two Monday night games. Do you realize the Giants have two featured match? Can we flex them? I think they should flex them to Wednesday morning at like 3 a.m. Yikes. The Bucks and the Chiefs games are both Monday night games. Oh, my God. Those might get ugly. So there you go. Number five on the poop list, the Texans and Giants tied for the fifth spot. <laughs> Moving on to number four, that would be the New York Jets. The Jets, uh, yeah, but a little quick one because they were on the bye last week. So uh, the good news is that Zach Wilson has only thrown one interception the last two games. The problem is, I, I, I knew this, but I didn't know it. And I saw finally some stats that kind of backed this up. You know, he's completing under... 60% of his passes, and he has one of the lowest yards per attempt. So he's not even like he's taking deep shots down the field. So the good news is they play the Patriots this week. The Patriots stink, too. I mean, let's be honest. Patriots have two wins. They've lost four straight at home. First time that a Bill Belichick team has lost four straight home games since he was coaching in Cleveland. Uh, problem is, one of those wins came against the Jets. So, uh, yeah, we'll leave the Jets at number four for this week on the uh, polar opposite of power rankings. There you go. Uh, number three, the Jacksonville Jaguar. Yes, finally off the schneid. This is actually the uh, lowest on the rankings that they've been. They have been number one for the majority of the year, but finally got out of the uh, lost column. First win since week one of last year. Problem is, they still stink. Uh, you know, that's the problem. They, they were able to beat Miami in London, but now... Now that that bandage has been ripped off, they're probably like at least the pressure of finally getting a win has been alleviated, but now that pressure is gone, so they might just go back to just being all-time bad. And really, that win takes Urban Meyer off the hot seat again, which in the long, you know, the, the long view of the program, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, is probably a bad thing. They, they should be pitching him to LSU, USC. If Penn State loses their head coach, Penn State... They have to get him out of the building as soon as humanly possible. But at least for now, number three on the poop rankings are the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, yeah, now we get down to the real heavy hitters, and it's not really that much of a shock. Number two, it, this was a little bit tough. Like, I knew I was going to have to have a new number one team because the Jaguars couldn't still beat the worst. So number two, I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions. The Sorry for interrupting. The Detroit Lions this season have not taken an offensive snap with the lead. Let me rephrase that or repeat that. I'm not going to rephrase it. I'm just going to say the same thing. 
the Lions have not taken a snap, an offensive snap this season with the lead. It's week seven. And those press conferences with Dan Campbell, boy, those are becoming must-see TV. He's all over. One week he's crying. The next week he's ripping the quarterback. Already, we are only, we've only played for the majority six games this season. The Lions already have an 87% chance of getting a top five pick. And they only have one fewer win than the Giants. So I don't know what the Giants' odds are, but they got to be pretty high as well. 36% of getting the number one overall pick. Uh, they have the worst point differential in the NFC, tied with the Giants. So the Detroit Lions, you are number two on the polar opposite of power rankings. And that, of course, means our new number one most worthless team in the entire sport, a team that I have been wasting beautiful autumn Sundays, week in, week out, year in, year out. That would make the Miami Dolphins the number one worst team. Let me tell you about these worthless losers. Do you have the sound effect? What we got for number one? Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, what I mean, what a disgrace last week was. It was nauseating. It was disgusting. It was baffling. It was infuriating. You know what it was, though? It was not surprising. I sat here and I told you last week it was going to happen. It was like I was writing a script. This was the year that was supposed to be a step forward from the teardown. The year after having nine first or second round draft picks the last two years they've had nine first or second round draft picks in the uh, and they have not exactly loaded the organization with like soon to be stars i can tell you that thing this was supposed to be the step forward the next step in the process the next step has been for them on that glass bridge and squid game oh what a i mean let's start with the owner stephen ross is a real-world genius, built a real estate empire. He's worth like $7 billion, real-life genius, NFL Bobo. He took over the team in 2009. They are yet to win a playoff game. And it's not like they've had that many opportunities. And it's 13 seasons. I'm going to go ahead and pencil in no playoffs this year. It's amazing. Imagine doing something for 13 straight years and never getting any better at it. Never getting any better. No clue. No clue then. No clue now. It's amazing. GM came to the Dolphins in 2000. The reason that stands out, last year they won a playoff game. Last year they had the third pick in the draft, traded up to six from 12. When they, had, they started the process with the third pick, and then they ended up with the sixth pick, trading away this year's number one pick, which very well might be the number one pick in the absolute draft. So for so many reasons, including the Deshaun Watson stuff, which we will get into, but for now, the Miami Dolphins, congratulations on winning something. You are number one in the polar opposite of power rankings. All right, it is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN. 7-6 is the uh, telephone number. All right, so a couple things. One more thing about the Giants that I wanted to get to before we get back to the phones. Then I want to hit on the uh, Deshaun Watson stuff as we uh, take you up till 6. Anita Marks comes your way then. 
Um, just one thing to revisit from last week, which has been proven, I think, at this point, even though we're only going into week seven in the NFL season, and it is that the Giants, after the season is over and all the changes that are going to come about, one of the changes that they have to make is that at this point, it's pretty clear. There's no point on investing anymore in Saquon Barkley. Uh, it's been proven at this point he cannot stay healthy, and it's a perfect example this week because the Giants play the team, the last team that Dave Gettleman was a GM with before the Giants. And Pat Leonard of the Daily News uh, came up with some great stats for his article about um, you know investing in running backs and how it's a mistake. It was a mistake at the time, and there's no point on, on, on furthering that mistake. Christian McCaffrey has played in, excuse me, has missed 74% of the Panthers' games since the start of last season and 24% of their games since he was drafted. Saquon Barkley has missed 70% of the games that the Giants have played since last year and 34% since he was drafted. Also, just in terms of money, the running back position, the second least valuable position on an NFL field in 2020, according to Pro Football Focus, this from the Daily News article by Pat Leonard, uh, top 32 running backs generated 2.99 wins above replacement ahead of only centers. Quarterbacks obviously were ranked first. And just in terms of do actual dollars spent, uh, what NFL teams actually spend on NFL players, only punter and kicker, I believe, are uh, lower than running back. And I don't know where the Giants will pick. I don't know who will pick one. I don't know who will pick two. I can guarantee you right now, without even really knowing that much about college football, uh, it's pretty clear a running back will not go one or two or three in this year's draft. All right, so that's that part out of the way. I did want to hit on the um, Deshaun Watson stuff because it seems like that story has come up again, and it's not really a surprise that it has because November 2nd is the NFL trade deadline. So the name Deshaun Watson has, has popped up because John McClain, who writes uh, for the Houston Chronicle, as for a very long time, said either Tuesday or Wednesday came out with the report that the Dolphins and Texans could have a deal done by as early as the end of this week. And uh, this, this time they really, really, I mean, how many different times have we spent talking about Deshaun Watson? And it hasn't made sense in the past. And it, I mean, I really don't think it makes sense now. And I think that the fact that all these stories are coming out of Houston is a sign of the desperation that the Houston um, Texans have towards moving this guy before the NFL trade deadline. I mean, I don't see how any team could trade for a guy that you have no idea when he might be able to play or how much he might be able to play. Well, he technically can play right now. Yeah, right now he can because he's already said that he doesn't want to play for the Houston Texans. So that has allowed – he's kind of cut the NFL a break. that They haven't had to do anything. Now, if he gets traded to someone – well, then they're going to have to do something. Is it innocent until proven guilty? Or is it you're going to not allow this guy to be on the field considering the accusations that have been made against him and are playing out in the court of law? So he could be facing a suspension now. And the situation is nowhere, apparently nowhere even close to being over. So you don't know what the suspension will be. You don't know how those cases are going to play out. You don't even know for sure that there won't be a criminal case made. Now, the one caveat I will give here is that if there is one organization that's stupid enough to do this, it would be the Miami Dolphins. But we'll get to them in a minute. The Texans are clearly desperate. They want to trade him before the deadline. Otherwise, they know they're not going to be able to do anything with him. 
until the offseason and, and a good chance, you know, all those questions about those court cases will be answered by then. And then wherever he's going, it's going to impact the price. Um, but I think it's going to impact the price anyway because it doesn't seem like there's that many te- – like there's no market for this guy outside of maybe the dumbest organization in the entire NFL. Philly's not making this deal. Carolina's not making this deal. Denver's not making this deal. And I think that these reports were floated as a, as a way to maybe get those teams to maybe um, – rethink their position but of course the Dolphins are a special level of stupid now uh, it makes zero sense for them either because already their season is over now you might be thinking well if the season's over make the deal for him now have him serve whatever suspension he's going to serve and then by the time you get to next year yeah but the cases aren't closed yet so how is the NFL the NFL will keep him on the sidelines but in terms of an actual NFL suspension I don't think you can do that until you know for sure how those court cases are going to play out. And in terms of the Dolphins, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know that I was not in favor of drafting Tua. Never thought he would stay healthy uh, at this level, and he clearly has not. To, to watch the Dolphins, if you saw if any of them so far this year, to think that Tua, a quarterback who has made 12 NFL starts, is what's holding the Dolphins back is just a new level of delusion. As a team, they can't block, they can't tackle. I brought up the nine first or second round picks the last two years. They are not an organization that is a quarterback away. I don't care who the quarterback is. They could go get Patrick Mahomes. They could go and somehow replicate Joe Montana from his prime. They are not a quarterback away. They are miles away from just being a mediocre team. And no one else is paying anything for him. And it's clear that if the Dolphins are the ones that make that trade, they will clearly overpay for him. And another thing to keep in mind, this is a GM that had two years to evaluate the quarterback class. And in his brilliant evaluation, in their brilliant evaluation, they drafted Tua over Justin Herbert. And you're already, after what, a year and a half, 12 NFL starts? You already move on, and the guy that did that, the GM that did that, you would allow him to make any decisions? Any? And, oh, yeah, you would be making a decision for a a guy that you'd have to trade significant assets for who's facing a lengthy suspension, and, oh, yeah, just so might be a sexual predator. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a very smart move to make if you're any team, especially the one that's being rumored to be ready to make that kind of move. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go back to the phone, shall we? Let's do it. We've got two Artie is in Brooklyn. Artie, what's going on, pal? Hey, Gordon. Thanks for taking the call. You sound like, uh, you sound like a Jets fan. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I look, mean, there's definitely I, I, some, I some crossover there. It's not as bad. You know, it's really funny. I mean, it, it's definitely not as bad for the Dolphins as you make it out. It, it, I know a lot of Dolphin fans that would be happy if they got Watson, not for this year. But definitely just looking forward to next year. Anyway, I want to talk about my Jets because, you know, they, they haven't beaten the, the Patriots in the last six years. And in the beginning of the year, I, I, I'm not picking this team as a playoff team, obviously, but I had hopes. I thought, hey, maybe we could win a few games and just come back to the Cincinnati game and have it mean something. And if they lose to the Patriots, it's basically over. And I don't know if they could do this, but this is what, as a Jeff fan, this is what I want. Um, I want my number two pick to outplay the quarterback that was taken tense. And that's like, I mean, four interceptions. I was there, four interceptions. But at least he tried it. You know, he, he showed that he's more talented 
but I don't want to see four interceptions again. I want to see improvement. That's number one. Number two, my coach. Okay, because I love what he says. Sounds like a judge thing. I love what he says, but when the team is playing, they're getting penalties and stuff like that. He had two weeks. Okay, you got a number two pick with an arm. Can you at least go spread offense or something? Not like the, the typical conservative, like I'm not going to let my quarterback, you know, throw uh, four deceptions again. I'm just going to keep running. And I don't understand this, too. I'm not a you know, football guru, scout, or anything like that. But Michael Carter is not an everyday back. And I don't know if they had this guy, Perrine. I'm not saying he was the end all. But to me, Ty Johnson and, and Perrine are better. He didn't have Mims. Mims comes on the field. He catches a couple of balls from 40 yards. So I don't know, right? They traded this tight end. I'm not saying he's all that. But the tight ends that they have haven't caught, haven't done anything. So I'm saying just show some improvement against the Patriots. Make me hope, make me know that I have a quarterback and I have a coach. All right, Gordon. Thanks, All right, Odie. Um, well, look, uh, the, the Jets will win some games. I mean, they still have Miami twice, and Miami's terrible. They still have Houston on the schedule, um, and I think that they still have Jacksonville on the schedule. So, uh, look, I don't know that they're going to win all those games, but they'll win some of those games. They'll have their three or four wins, and to me, coming into the season, that would have been acceptable as long as they're not winning two, right? Like, you can't, you can't lose as much as you are losing last year, especially when you're playing one more game. Uh, the concern that I would have, and, and really this is all about the quarterback, it's not about the wins and the losses, is that at least so far he has not lived up to, I think, what the expectations were coming into a season where there were no expectations. Right? Like nobody said, well, he has to win this many games or he has to do this or he has to do that. But just, you know, the eye test, uh, it's not looked good. It's not looked good. And, and it almost seems like that the, he makes some plays that make you go, wow, right? He does have some, some, some plays in his bag where he just kind of relies on his natural ability and it's a broken play and he gets outside the pocket and he's throwing it off his back foot and it's a laser down the field. That's really hard to kind of rep. You can't run an offense that way. You have to be able to make those on-schedule plays too. And it seems like he's having real difficulty with that. Like the numbers I gave you before, he's completing under 60% of his passes and he has like the lo- one of the lowest average targets per attempt as well so uh yeah i mean it's been it's been a rough go you would expect it to be a rough go for him coming into the season it has been exactly that uh i think for this week i i think what you have to look at if you're trying to be realistic as a jet fan is i'm not saying you got to go up there and win you got to be able to hold it closer than you did last time i mean last time it was not even a game uh this time you got i mean you've had two weeks to prepare your quarterback is a little bit more experienced at this point. He's he's not turned the ball over quite as often as he has in the past, so that's some good stuff there. You'd like to think that you're moving in the right direction and a second game against the same opponent who you got kind of housed by last time. Uh, maybe it was a little bit of a closer game than the final score indicated, but the quarterback was just so bad that it was tough to look at that game as being really anything close. Um, you have to be able to hold it a little bit closer than that. That's, I think that's the judgment. I think that's the area that you're looking for as you go into a game because, you know, going to New England, as you said, they haven't won there in, in however, how, how long. Uh, it, it's not like they have a ton of wins against anybody the last few years, but you have to be able to play better than you did early in the season. That's what it's about for the Jets this year is progress. Not really seen that progress so far. Maybe in some areas, but certainly not in the quarterback. Uh, let's go to Richard is in Manhattan. Richard, you're next up on ESPN New York. 
Gordon, you were reading the stats about running backs and this and that. You don't have to do all that. Thursday night, did you watch the football game? Uh, I did, yep, of course. Cleveland used a third-string running back. Yep, Third-string. Yeah. He had 150 yards. That's great. That's more than <laughs> Barkley. I don't think Barkley's ever had 150 yards rushing. Uh, he might have had maybe in one game, but no, I mean. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this guy's he, a third-string running back. Right, and yep. they knew he was going to run the ball. He still ran through that team. Yep. That was unbelievable what that guy did to Denver. And Denver's not a bad defense. It's not like they're the Texans. Or no, the I know. They're a pretty good defense. This is your third-string yeah. running back. Now, if I can see that, yeah. how could uh, Gettleman not see this? Yeah. No, it's... You know, Gordon, uh, Tom Thibodeau, what's a big criticism on, criticism on him is he plays the regulars too much, even in blowout games. All right. Last night was a blowout, wasn't it? Yep. They were up by 30 at half, yep. up by 20 at the first quarter. The Knicks starters – Combined to play 133 minutes. The Orlando starters combined to play 160 minutes. <laughs> so Nick starters played 27 minutes less than the Orlando starters. No Nick played more than 30 minutes, and that was Randall. So, you know, I, he keeps players in until the game is over, until he knows he's got the win. But, you know, I mean, he's not – I don't think he's obsessed more with burning out his players than any other coach. Uh, well, look, uh, he does have that reputation. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, I think it was more glaring in the preseason games where he was playing Randall 30 minutes. Um, but that, look, that's part of the deal. He wants uh, to win. Parcells was the same way. The you know, Parcells wanted to win every preseason game. You know, Gordon, you know what I like what Thibodeau does? And I don't think I've seen, I mean, if he holds up this so far these two games. And when Gibson comes back, I'm sure he'll come in for uh, Robinson. What I remembered with Patino when he came in 86, 80, uh, 87, 88, 88, 89, he had two separate teams. He played 10 guys, if you remember. Now, they weren't separate as far as he'd bring in all five. Of, but sometimes he did. But I like what Thibodeau's doing. He's going to play 10 guys. He's going to have uh, quickly come in for uh, Fournier. He's going to have Toppin come in for Barrett. He'll have... Uh, Burks come in for uh, Randall, and uh, he'll have uh, uh, Rose come in for Walker. So he's basically going to play 10 guys. Yeah. And then, of course, Gibson, like I said, will come in for Robinson when Gibson's. He's going to play 10 guys. I haven't seen, and with a pretty, I think he's going to do this with a pretty normal rotation, 10 guys. And, you know, it's funny now looking at NBA boxers, you see 14 players. For years and years, you only saw 11, then 12, now 14. But you see a lot more play. I mean, I guess they get everybody in in blowouts. But uh, he looks like he's going to lean on 10 players, two separate teams. And I don't know if you're going to see dominant numbers as, as far as minutes go. We'll see. I think, he'll, I think he's got more confidence in uh, – he's certainly he's going to have the confidence in uh, Derrick Rose. And, uh, you know, Rose will play between 21 and 27 minutes, just like Walker, even though Walker's the starter. And uh, Barrett will come out because Tobin's going to come in. And Tobin may play more minutes than Barrett if he's playing well. And so far, the first two games, you can see where Tobin is starting off. So it's going to be interesting. I like, I like it. And I, I don't remember a Nick team doing this since Patino. And, you know, we had two great run years that year at that time with the Patino. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how the Knicks do. Gordon, have you been following this top 75 
players. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the 75th anniversary. I, I don't team, do right? the internet, and it hasn't been okay. in the papers. So if it's not in the papers and I can't read it with my coffee and bagel in the morning, uh-huh. ah, it's no good to me. But I'm just hearing bits and bits. I'm hearing, like, Clay Thompson is mad that he's not. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm not sure Clay <laughs> uh, Thompson yeah. was. I, wait, wait, Gordon, I don't think he was better than his father. Michael Thompson, <laughs> to I mean, be look, honest with you. He's a good you. player. Um, Very good. I, yeah. You know what, Gordon? I'll go this way. And I've been watching since 61. So I haven't watched 75 years of NBA basketball, but I've watched 60, which makes 75%. And maybe five players, I'm sure, George Mikan made it. I saw Kuzi. I think maybe I'm sure this guy Mickelson or Pollard, some of those guys I never saw play. But that's about it. Other than that, Russell and the rest – Rest of the guy, Sam Jones, I don't know if he's on. I would love to know. Like, I think the way they did it, you have Sam 75. Mathematically, you'd have to do 29 forwards, 29 guards, and 17 centers. You know, that's the way I would think. that, Or maybe 16 with one super sub. The super sub, I would think, if you who would you have as your super sub? The best Six men in the NBA history in your lifetime, certainly in my lifetime. And if it's my lifetime, it's certainly your lifetime. Who would you say the best six men? Uh, best sixth man? Um, I don't know. I don't have one off oh, the I'd top. Have to go. I mean, Kevin Vinny McHale. Johnson is great. Um, Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale has one. No, I, mean, I don't know I don't if he's he being better than just a sixth man, though. Yeah, right. So yeah. he'd be borderline sixth man, a man that should get in now. I, you know, I go this far. I don't know if Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller, really deserved top uh, top seventy five. I heard he made it. He did. Make I'm it. a hard grader. I mean, yeah. I'd look back to my guys. Well, in who the would 70s. you put on? You know, you'd have to take a look at the list, Richard. You got to yeah, find sure. a copy of the list. Like Marcus, I don't know. Do you remember the name Marcus Johnson? I know the name, but I don't think I ever saw him play. Alex English, great player. Alex English, I remember playing. Yeah, great I mean, scorer. He was a little, you know, and he actually came out with a statement saying he was a little just, you know, he was understated. You know, his understated style is not gonna. Uh, the one guy that jumped out to me, and Richard, thanks for the phone call. Was uh, always good. That I, that I thought was a little surprising was Damian Lillard. Um, now it's a little tough because Lillard is still in the middle of his career, so it's possible that he continues it. But I have no idea. How long? And the one snub that I think that deserved to make it over him would have been um, Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight Howard not be and, and I get it. Dwight Howard, all the success really came at the beginning of his career. He's played for probably 17, 18 years. But I mean, when you take a look accolade for accolade, it's tough to make an argument that Damian Lillard deserves to be there over someone like um, Dwight Howard. Gordon Damer, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Well, we do it every single week. It is NFL Picks. We pick every single game. Last week, 7-7. Seven and 1-0 seven. and oh this week after the Cleveland win on Thursday night. So uh, still five games over 500 for the season. So this week, very strange week. A lot of teams with bye weeks this week. A lot of big spreads this week. So... If I had to make a prediction on which week the whole process and the whole pick segment will completely go in the toilet, this one would be a very strong contender. But without any further ado, let's hit the music and let's make our NFL picks for week number seven. Yes, week number seven. Let's start off. Not a lot of great games this week, but let's start off with one that's kind of a little intriguing. Bengals at the Ravens. Cincy is getting six and a half, so almost a touchdown. 
And, and remember last week, we were having the conversation about running backs and, and, and Saquon and how, to me, the Giants at this point, once Saquon's contract is up, it's time to cut bait. There's no, no point on investing anymore in that position on a guy who can't stay healthy. Look at the Ravens. Ravens are another perfect example, at least the best example this year. They've lost four running backs. Four of them. They keep finding guys. They're five and one. This poor guy's off the street you've never heard of before. To me, this game comes down to Bengals offensive line issues and the Ravens defense. Ravens defense, top 10 in sacks, quarterbacks hits, pressure rate. Now, their pass defense has not been that good in terms of defending the pass. It's not as good as it looked last week against the Chargers, but I just have a hard time believing. I believed in the Bengals to get to four and two. Five and two feels a little high. It feels a little much at this point of the season, so give me Baltimore, and uh, I'll, I'll take away the points, and uh, I'll give up the six and a half. All right, Panthers, Giants. I told you there weren't that many good games this week. Oh, boy, this one. Giants getting three at home. Oh, my God. They're getting three at home against the Panthers team that is desperate for a win. I mean, at this point, you'd have to say, what do the New York Giants do well? Outside of ruining NFL Sundays, what do the New York Giants do well? Worst record in the NFL over the last five seasons. We all know the numbers by now. One win, and we're kind of lucky to get that win, right? Like down 11 in the fourth quarter, one on the road in overtime. Giants going to be without Saquon, without Galladay, without Kadarius Toney. Andrew Thomas is on IR. Outside, And it wasn't like they were playing all that well when those guys were in there, but... I guess I got to take Carolina minus the points again. I just have, I've been on the Giants a lot this year, and look where that's gotten me. So I'll take Carolina minus the three. All right, football team at the Packers, Green Bay minus seven and a half. You know, it's weird. Like, ever have things where you feel like everybody knows something already? It's obvious. But then all of a sudden, everybody kind of comes around to your way of thinking. It's like all of a sudden, people have realized Tyler Henneke is not very good. Yeah. And oh, yeah, the Washington defense is terrible. I mean, they're terrible. I thought that they were going to have this really, you know, I don't know, shutdown defense, but certainly get after the quarterback, low-scoring games. They're last in points allowed. They're allowing 36 points per game on the road, and they have just one sack, and they're going to Green Bay where Rodgers just kind of lights up everybody. And so I got to go with the Packers minus the seven and a half. Chiefs at Tennessee, Kansas City giving up uh, four and a half in this one. Well, look, Derrick Henry is awesome. We all admit that. We all know that. To me, this game is about Kansas City. Kansas City has the next two weeks to kind of right the ship here because they get the Titans this week, the Giants next after that, right? But then after that, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, and then three straight division games, including the Chargers. So this is a big game for the Chiefs going on the road. Um, I, I don't think that the Chiefs are going to be able to slow down Derrick Henry, but I'm fairly confident that Tennessee is not going to be able to slow down Kansas City. And really, it's been Kansas City slowing down themselves with the turnovers. So I always hate picking against the Chiefs, even though they're not that great in covering the spread. Give me the Chiefs minus the four and a half. Did I mention there are not that many good games this week? Well, let's go down to Miami where the Falcons and Dolphins get together. Oh, who, who's not ready for Falcons-Dolphins? 
If you're betting Falcons-Dolphins, 1-800-GAMBLER calls you. Dolphins getting two and a half at home against the Falcons. Well, look, the Dolphins season is lost. It's toast. It's done. And now the only question is, how bad does it get? It certainly seems like the GM, I have to assume the GM is going to be fired. Brian Flores is not exactly uh, acting like a man who, who wants to stick around either. I mean, the, the coaching staff is a mess. The offense is a mess. They can't block. They can't tackle. They can't do anything right. They had a play two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago where they completed a pass in their own end zone for a safety. They completed a pass in their end zone for a safety last week. In London, Brian Flores is challenging two plays consecutively, neither of which he had any chance of ever getting overturned. It was like he was firing fun coupons off the side of the boat, like Wolf of Wall Street. So the thing is, you know me, I'm very honest about my team. They, the Dolphins are expected to get Xavier Howard and Byron Jones back this week, Devontae Parker. So they're getting a little bit healthier. And the thing is, it's not really about the Dolphins. I just, I would have a hard time picking the Falcons and giving up points on the road. The Falcons are giving up points on the road at this point. So with that in mind, again, I, I'm not, I can't take the Falcons. So give me the Dolphins and give me the two and a half. Jets, Patriots. Have I mentioned by any chance? There are not that many good games this week. Jets at Patriots week two. You remember well, Patriots got a win against the uh, Jets and Zach Wilson. And back in week two, you would expect that Belichick to pull off all the stops right against a rookie quarterback. Is the Jets any offense any better from week two? Ah, not really all that sure. Now, the thing is, the Patriots have lost four home games. First time that's happened to Bill Belichick. Four straight home games since he was coaching in Cleveland. I don't know that the Patriots are all that good. I don't think that they are. But the problem is, even as bad as they are, they trounced the Jets the last time they played them. So I know it's a touchdown. It seems kind of high for a Patriots team that I don't have a lot of confidence in scoring a lot of points. But, yeah, give me the Pats minus the seven. Have I by any chance? Yes. Lions at the Rams. Rams minus 16 and a half. Oh, my God. This is good. I mean, this is going to be like Lions against actual people. You know what I mean? Like the people just don't stand a chance. You have to beat a lion with your bare hands. That's how it is watching the Lions try to win games. They're the people. That might be a convoluted way of saying, uh, well, look, Dan Campbell has already had enough of Jared Goff. At least Sean McVay with his perfect memory where he remembers everything. Took him a few seasons before he got sick of Jared Goff. Dan Campbell has taken him six games. In real life, or as the kids say in IRL, I would not touch this game with a uh, 25-foot pole. But I pick every game every single week, so I kind of feel like the Lions will keep it under 17. It's not the most um, fervent kind of uh, support of a pick, but... 16 and a half is a lot of points. And the Rams are just coming off, blowing out the stinky Giants by, they were winning by five touchdowns at one point. So maybe the Lions can, maybe Jared Goff can have that sports montage moment where he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. Give me the Lions and I'll probably regret it. Plus the 16 and a half. 
Eagles at the Raiders. This one I don't think is actually a bad game. This is actually a pretty good game. And considering what Week 7 looks like, this one uh, I don't mind. The problem is the Eagles don't seem to understand what the strength of their team is. Especially when they go up against, you know, like high-flying, offensive kind of teams. They try. Why are they trying to match them by throwing the football? It's pretty clear that the quarterback is struggling at this point in Jalen Hurts. But he's got a great set of wheels. They have a pretty good running game. They got Miles Sanders. He's healthy. And it seems like they, rather than trying to take the air out of the ball, they're trying to play the other team's game. They did it against the Bucs. They did it against the Cowboys. They got to stick to the run game. Now, I don't know that they're going to do that, but they now had, what, 10 days off after the Thursday night game? The coach, Nick Sirianni, says he has to get Miles Sanders more involved. So for that reason, I'm going to say, give me the Eagles on the road plus the two and a half. Texans and Cardinals. Cardinals and Texans. Yikes. Another dog of a game. Cardinals uh, are favored by 18 is the last line I have. The Texans have alternated blowouts with showing some effort. Some. But the problem is they're on the road. And on the road, they are a dumpster fire. I mean, just a, a, a dumpster fire filled with baby diapers. I mean, they are just, woof, they are just so bad. So it's 18. It's basically like three touchdowns. I guess I got to, I, I, and, and good con, when I take the Texans and I, like, you know, within like 35 seconds of the game, oh my God, they're going to get destroyed. So unless they just get some crazy turnovers or something like that, I got to go with Arizona at home. Minus the 18 points. Bears, Bucks, Bucks minus 12. Bears, you know, Bears are generally competitive. Bucks are all banged up. No Antonio Brown, no Gronk. Um, I think that maybe this is the week that Justin Fields can maybe get his running game going a little. Not really as, he, he, you know, for a guy with a great set of wheels, they've not really run him all that much in the game plan. Maybe not all that surprising considering how things kind of started has not really kind of fit his skill set. So, uh, but the Bears defense, I think, could do something here. And even though it's 12, 12's a lot, and I already took a team with 18, but, uh, you know, give me the Bears on the road after the uh, debacle against Green Bay last week. I'll take the Bears plus the 12. Niners and Colts. Oh, the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, my kryptonite. I can never seem to get them right the Niners have certainly struggled this year. I find it hard to believe the Niners are going to be 2-4. and four. And that's really what I'm kind of basing this on. I, I can't see them being 2-4, and four, but 4.5 four for a Niners team that's all banged up right now. Jimmy Garoppolo will look great at times, and he'll do something. You'll be like, oh, my God, what was that? So I think 4.5 is a little bit too much. So I'm probably going to be wrong because I'm always wrong on Indy. If I take them, they lose. If I go against them, they win. Give me the Colts plus the four and a half. And then we got the little sound effect there. There we go. Uh, the Monday night game. Who is ready? Have I mentioned by any? Yeah. Saints at the Seahawks. Maybe the Seahawks can wear those disgusting neon green highlighter uniforms, the ones that, like, you turn the TV off and you can still see them. Because this will be fitting for this game. Are you ready for Jameis? versus Geno. You know, I've seen a lot this week of people saying, you know, Seattle 
could very well get a top five pick this year. Obviously, the Jets have the, the Seattle pick, uh, especially if Wilson doesn't return. I, I don't know. Um, Seattle is getting four and a half at home. And the pro- I, I just can't, I can't, I can't trust Jameis with four and a half points. I'm, I, 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 I don't want to, and I'm certainly not going to. So I know Seattle's not great. I know Geno's not great. And I'm sure there'll be moments in this game where I would think to myself, you know what? Oof, Geno, how would you ever put money on Geno? But I will take Seattle desperate for a win at home and get the four and a half points. This is 98.7 ESPN.